Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devi Kagirish, the co-deputy editor of Film Comment. Recently, I was at the Locarno Film Festival in Switzerland, where I participated in a fascinating experimental event called The Future of Attention, curated by Rafael Dernbach, a researcher at the Università della Svizzera Italiana. It was a continuous 24-hour live talk moderated by three hosts, including yours truly, and involving a new guest each hour. The event began at noon on August 10th and went on all the way to noon on August 11th. Attendees were invited to sit, lounge, or even sleep in the audience whenever they wished. The idea was not just to discuss the workings of attention in contemporary film and media culture, but also to actively experience and challenge the various ways in which we pay attention over a sustained period of time. Over the next couple weeks, we'll be sharing excerpts from my hosting shift at the event, which featured some really exciting guests, from filmmaker Helena Whitman to artist Hito Styrel to scholar Kevin Beely, among others. Today's episode features the filmmaker Kamal Al-Jafari, who talks about his new short, Paradiso 31-108, and the ways in which his filmmaking draws attention to what he calls the camera of the dispossessed. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you for joining us, Kamal. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I've been watching a lot of uh, Douglas Sirk uh, movies, so yes. I'm, I feel very motivated again to make films. Good, yeah. <laughs> and how do you feel being part of this 24-hour talk? I'm, I'm happy to be here. I mean, of course, um, the questions that you're raising are quite challenging. <laughs> I think these are questions that we all somehow... Um, as filmmakers, as, as individuals, uh, deal with. Um, so I'm looking forward. And I was thinking maybe we could start by talking about the short film that you have uh, at Locarno this year, uh, which uses image and sound in an interesting way. It has this amazing um, synopsis on the website about the sound of bombs, uh, you know, how the roar of these planes absorbs everything else as um, the planes move to a soundproof uh, fireworks site, and then the sound of bombs consumes everything. Actually, it's a quote from um, uh, Zeebald, where, in fact, he's imagining um, uh, what the soldiers inside the planes bombing Berlin were thinking. Ah, I see. Um, and I find, it, I find it quite apt to use it again because in a way, and it is so tragic for our existence as a human being, that this uh, self-destruction that we keep uh, living in um, never stops. I mean, uh, it is Berlin in the past, but, you know, and Palestine is all, all the time. It is the Russians invading Ukraine. Um, and I think cinema should play a role in, you know, um, paying attention to things that usually the media, the mainstream media, doesn't want to really to go deeper on. So I'm not saying that, you know, um, because I make films that are, um, you know, explaining situations. I would, I'm rather interested in ex exploring feelings and um, having having the time to meditate. I mean, I'm also a big fan of Samuel Young, um, and I keep going back to to his first film, for example. I don't know if some of you have seen it, uh, Rebels of the Neon Gods, um, specifically because um, it has the ability to create poetry, which is the most important part in as I, as I perceive, uh, you know, um, cinema. It's really um, something that we can do a lot with. Uh, to create poetry. But this is what um, I, I kind of want to talk to you about um, is sound and feeling, you know, uh, you said, which is sort of the primal capacities of cinema, bringing that into the political realm. I mean, creating poetry, which also draws your attention to these politically significant um, aspects of life or of the world. And so 
again, maybe you could start by talking about the short film because I just think it's very yeah. fascinating. It uses, I think it's all, is it all found footage? Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm actually, I've made the last four films I made uh, uh, were made with already existing footage. I mean, I, I started with a film in, my, in 2000, 2015. It was in Lucano, Recollection. Um, and I thought this will be the last one. And I, since then, I, I really, I couldn't stop. And and I started actually making, and I will answer the, your question. Yeah. I started making these films precisely because it was really uh, easier to make films and less complicated than, you know, going and finding money. It's a long process. By the time you find the money, you forgot your project already. You're interested in something else. Um, so this is what found footage allows me to do is basically to work immediately. And this was the case of this uh, uh, last uh, short that I came across material while making another film that will be uh, in Venice in a month, a feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, okay, I have to stop now. And, and what's that called? Do you have a title? It's called Fidei Film. Okay. Uh, so I had to stop and work on this footage. And I, I did it within three months uh, because this footage existed. And these were footage of, um, of a made shot by the Israeli army in the 60s and 70s. Basically a kind of if you want a cinematic self-portrait of men playing war. So it wasn't uh, filmed while the the soldiers were training. It was was actually, um, they were acting Mm. for the camera. They gathered, they brought all these tanks, all the planes, all the the soldiers, uh, and made them play a war in the desert where they are looking for the enemy. So it's like a propaganda newsreel? What in a way, the, in yeah. a way, yes, I think. Um, it must have been used as a propaganda material. So um, when I saw that, um, it was so playful and the acting was so bad that I, I thought I should continue playing with this. Um, so my intervention in this, uh, in this work, uh, sometimes it is really re- ready-made. I just take it as it is because it was so good. Um, and sometimes I kind of, um, you know, change the meaning by creating another meaning by turning the, the image against itself. Now, this is done mostly with sound. And I think with sound, you can do incredible things. Um, um, I, I think we discussed that when we had the talk back then during the pandemic uh, about my uh, last film, Unusual Summer, which was made with surveillance camera. With no, I found it with no sound. And it was an incredible experience because I realized, you know, and we're always learning as filmmakers, you know, we never Maybe, stop learning. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just to give people a sense of yeah. that film, uh, it's surveillance camera footage of basically your house or the block where uh, your family lived. And it was installed by your dad, exactly, the camera, yeah. to try to catch someone who was uh, vandalizing your exactly his car. He, the, my father's car and then yeah. and my father finally you know uh, he installed the camera and and uh, actually it was a um, kind of he couldn't find uh, a, a new technology so he found this camera which he could connect with a VHS and he recorded everything on VHS basically looking for this person who breaks the car window and eventually he found him and he was just a crazy guy in the neighborhood but he filmed one month just the car and the neighborhoods and everybody who passes by. And I found I found it because my sister jokingly t- told me, "You take it takes you years to make a film. Maybe you should have a look at these VHS tapes. And I did, and uh, I made a film with it. So in the process, because when I found it, I, it had no sound. So you watch. For me, it was interesting, emotional, because I know the people, my family, you know, because it also recorded the daily life of my family from the house door to the car. But what what was really incredible is really the process of creating the sound because sound, it's another level of expressing emotions. I think images, they they can do it, but sound is something so subconscious and deep. Um, And this is something that I'm very much interested in in the potentiality of uh, narration through sound. I mean, you just mentioned um, that Simon Young uh, film days, and, and for me, it was the same experience. I mean, it's a scene of a couple of minutes, somebody at the window 
watching, um, contemplating life. And it is something that people do. So why cinema cannot do it? It should do it. Um, so um, in that sense, the, the creating a meaning and, and uh, in, in a way as well, space and conversation with uh, the others, you know, the viewers, uh, sound can play a huge role. So do you play devil's advocate, you know, when you say that in, in real life people do this, they sit and contemplate life, why shouldn't At least do I do that, I mean... No, 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 and I think people do that, but what would you say to someone who says, like, why would I go to watch movies if they were just like real life? You know, for some, film is about ellipses. Film is about taking real life and cutting out the, the stuff that we all do and taking it to some other condensed plane. So I'm just curious. I think that um, it's another form of contemplation. Uh, it's true that we do that, and why would you go and watch it again? Um, in a way, we have to take a break from our own life to experience something else, because there is really so many uh, endless um, uh, situations of people watching the rain. I mean, it's, it's not always the same. The rain is mm. not always the same. Uh, the person is not the same person. It depends on his mood, uh, whether he's lovesick or sad or happy or uh, you name it. Whether the light is is it, it is dark or it's just uh, a, a daylight. I mean, it's endless. And I think um, we have we, we of course this is one form of cinema. I'm I'm, I'm not canceling other forms, and one one should make fantastic films. Uh, but I think um, the potentiality of, of the reality is still uh, beyond anything that we can even imagine. There is so much potentiality there of creation, it's endless. Like the nature is endless. Hmm. Okay, so coming back to the short, and it's parody, so 13, is that, am I? Uh, 31, 108. It's, 31, 108. It's actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when I was editing the film, uh, I thought I should find the title with numbers. And um, I looked in my library, and uh, the first thing I saw, it was a book of uh, Borges. And I opened the book, looking for a title, and the first thing I saw is this title. Paradiso. Paradiso, uh, 31108. And I said, okay, I'm going to use it as a working title. And then it stayed. Uh, but in fact, then I discovered that uh, Borges bor borrowed this title from Dante, from uh, La Comedia Divina. And there, the Paradiso 31-108, it says, and finally you show your face. So this wow. is all coincidence. Um, just like Helena was describing, uh, you know, this chain of uh, specters that made it's way into her film from uh, La Petite Soldat to Beau Travail to Human Flowers of the Fresh, uh, Flesh, and now you have this, and which also came from just uh, inviting the world into your process. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something really essential that we should always stay alert by reading because there's so much existing out there, you know, so many wonderful creations, and um, um, we, we have to uh, be curious, stay curious, and, and uh, things will, will finally find us. And this is the magic of making films and also working with whatever we, we, we find, um, that actually it's never a coincidence. It's somehow we attract things. Mm. And um, in a way, um, being alert will always help us to, to continue creating. So in Paradiso 31-108, okay, um, tell me about the soundtrack of that film. What, how did you compose that and where does that draw from? So um, you mostly, I mean, if you haven't seen the film, you still can watch it. I think tomorrow uh, there's the last screening. Um, so you see a lot of activities of soldiers playing with the, mach with, with, uh, with the machines. And um, the first part of the film I worked a lot on these uh, small details. And then you see um, uh, quite a lot of people measuring because, you know, making war is, a lot, is, all, is all about making calculations, you know, how to hit your target. And 
for example, in this case, it was really interesting because you, you would see people writing. And of course, when you work in commercial cinema or mainstream cinema, people would do the, the so-called folly, which I love. So the folly, um, there are, of course, different types of folly, but some people would do a folly that is really precise. Meaning, if you move your hand, your 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 pen this way, it should really uh, correspond with the what you see in the image. But if you do it uh, random, like uh, people would do in in the in the beginning of cinema, it is more emotional. So the perfection is really some in that sense. It's really not helping the film, and it's becoming uninteresting. What made it interesting is really to me taking a pen and a paper and putting this, the, the, the mic and then just, you know, uh, sc scratching. Mm -hmm. And then I would test it. Um, and then somehow it works. And it worked better actually with, with what I wanted to express, the nonsense of uh, such activities um, as I see it for our, our existence as, as a human being. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then a lot of uh, music in this case. I used music, which in a way uh, helped me to create this, um, uh, this other meaning, uh, turning the image against itself. And how would you, I mean, I, I, I'm wondering if you could be a little more specific about this idea of turning the image against itself, because it is, it invites a different kind of attention, really, right? Um, you it defamiliarizes the image so this you you kind of start to uh look at it you know differently you you um suspend the usual kind of format of meaning that you would bring to it and you start wondering what does this mean why does this have sort of comical music or why is this have music that reminds me of like a silent film or, or something like that so i want to know a little more what your specific intention was so first of all i, I would like to talk about images in general so when people uh, frame they have uh, uh, in the good cases they have very precise intentions uh, in many other cases, they don't. It's not very precise, and you usually um, end up capturing things that you were not intending to capture. And studying that image, any image, you will find always something in the background um, that can be used differently. I mean, in the program here, Padi Dumani, uh, there was this uh, uh, film made with. Uh, uh, um, game, 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 uh, gaming material, where they basically uh, look at all these uh, different positions. I don't know if you play uh, these games. There's always someone doing something in the background, and they collected that and they made a film with it. So what I'm trying to say basically that uh, there's a lot of things happening with within the frame, and that can be used. Um, with you know a different intention if you are interested in you know what's happening in the background you find something that uh is somehow helping would help you to express what you want to express now in my case i ended up making this kind of films because i see um archives as um i would try i would i would say now a, a kind of uh, phrase that i came up with while working on the new film as the camera of the dispossessed. So you put yourself in a situation, okay, I cannot film, I cannot go to a certain place. So you look for things and you try to uh, find all these traces of your existence within the frame, right? Now your existence is many things, you know, it's your memories and it can be anything. I mean, you could see a shot, uh, in a in like a place like Marseille, and and, and a, playing in a film, and then suddenly, it's re, if you look in the background, it reminds me of it reminds you of something. Now the mind works in a very strange way. It might remind you of something that you experienced in Mexico. For whatever reason, it's really difficult to to really um, uh, um, fully define the feeling, uh, and that's why. It is interesting and it fascinates me to to work with as a medium. I mean, 
what would you say i'm just playing a lot of devil's advocate with you <laughs> but what would you say to someone who would say that it is more productive to create new images than to look for traces of ourselves in images made by you know the dispossessors well it depends who you are i mean um, luckily this world this, this universe is so big you you know um, you can do all sorts of things um it's not that I'm against making images. I I will be making a fiction film next year. Mm. I would like to shoot again because I kind of lost touch with making with shooting filming. So I would like to go back to it and try it again. Um, but I think there is so much already existing. Mm. Uh, there's so much. I mean, I give you one example. I mean, each of you has his phone. Probably in the last year, you made thousands of images. Now, we almost, we rarely go back and watch it. The, uh, the, the phone reminds us always, you know, you have these clips, you know, uh, that I'm always sending to my friends. They, they made you the small movies, automatic movies, and they are nice. I like them, actually. They're really, very well done. And they put things, like, together that usually you wouldn't. It's interesting. So, um, but it is true. We never go back and uh, look at the uh, at the album of our life and this is where in fact uh you know cinema art poetry um plays a big role uh so we collect a lot i mean we are essentially as artists and filmmakers collectors i mean uh going back to your first question um you know even if you make the most fantastic film somehow it is related to what you have experienced, to things and memories and, and, and people that you have collected in your life, and they made up your being, in fact, finally. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... I mean, it is also, to me, you know, a reminder. We, we are, live in a world right now where there is, like, a hyper-production of images, you know, hyper-production of content. So... In this way, making meaning out of archives, especially archives that are underseen or have not been seen in a certain way, is also an important reminder that there exist so many unstudied images, while new images are constantly competing for our um, attention. Yeah, there, there's there, there's really so much. I mean, um, in any place you go to, um, you will find films made. I mean, you just going back to the, the beginning of cinema, I mean, the Lumiere brothers, when they just had their camera, they traveled to so many places. And I, in fact, in a film that I'm making now, um, I had to go back to the images that the Lumiere made in, in, in Jaffa, my hometown, um, in the 20s. Oh, wow. And it's really interesting because um, the way they, they, they positioned the camera um, is is still so emotional. Now, you have to go back to archives to see that. I mean, there's no other way. It's still emotional? Emotional. What, what do you mean by that? Emotional in a sense that uh, the movement within the camera uh, still talks to me. Mm. And it is so minimal. I mean, it's the camera couldn't be moved back then, so mm. it's just one position. And this is again about you know going back to your the whole concept of the talk about the attention. I mean, how will you pay attention to things? I mean, if I look at this for a second, I mean, I wouldn't see m much details, right? I mean, I had I have to stare. Mm. I have really to uh, stare, and maybe while staring at this object, somehow it's going to take me to another world. Uh, I don't know if you know this film, um, Poetry. It's a Korean film. I can't remember the name of the uh, director. Maybe uh, you remember? Yes, <laughs> sorry. Uh, to remember. Lee Chang-dong. Lee Chang-dong. Yeah. You're great. <laughs> so there is a wonderful scene there in the, in the film that I, I, um, I'm, I use sometimes when I teach. Uh, the old lady in the film, she goes to take lessons of poetry. She's like a grandmother. Yeah. yeah. And she enters the room, and then she finds this teacher holding an apple. And he tells them, Did you, do you ever look at the apple before you eat it? 
and you know everybody's kind of uh, hesitating how to react mm. because we never t- we never do and um, he says then we have to look at the apple to study it this is wh- how we write poetry it's true yeah this reminds me uh, recently i did this workshop on food criticism which was very interesting for me because i'm a film critic and uh, you know i was talking with helena about like the how narrative is overstated in the discourse around cinema and food doesn't ha- come with narrative right it's like purely sensory and this food food critic from the new york times made us do this exercise where she made us write a few sentences about a powerful childhood memory of food then she said okay now take what you written and remove all adjectives and try to convey everything that was said through the adjectives without the adjectives so instead of saying it was hot or spicy come up with a way of saying it like it pricked my tongue or it burst in my mouth like a balloon like you know just come up with a metaphor and it made me think of what you're saying like when we watch cinema when we write about cinema we lead so much with language instead of actually just looking at the image or, you know and just looking and um thinking about like the actual sensor sensory experience of it um and use these shorthand words that actually take us away from you know the the essence of the image yeah there's a problem in cinema in general i think which is uh related to to the the now necessity of uh writing a script and writing everything now sure before you make make a film you need to kind of um write down some ideas some thoughts and once you go and it happens to me a couple of times for i wrote a script that actually when it was a treatment in a form of a short story it was much better million times better than when i made i wrote the script because what happens in the process that you kind of try to even by writing the scenes uh you somehow um write things that are not you know exactly what you want you have to write them because you have to write the script so you force yourself to write now i'm not against writing scripts but there is something really problematic by doing this by going to this process um like in you mean in the sense of translating something yeah. visual and sensorial to words like you lose something there? yeah because you know it's very simple what you write in scripts and in scripts they're they're not something that you you know um uh, you would enjoy reading i mean uh, you know sometimes i'm invited to be in juries and it's really a painful experience to read scripts it's really the most painful and the first question i ask is it i mean how many scripts are there and how many post production because i would rather uh, watch something you know to evaluate be able to evaluate the this thing and its scripts i mean unless it's a taxi driver script you know you could maybe but even taxi driver try to read it uh it's very mechanical so i know that yeah there there is a necessity uh for the industry for people who give you money because are um filmmaking unlike writing uh or painting involves always money yeah. and money involves people who wants to have something to say and tell you and etc etc yeah. so <laughs> yeah yeah um so kind of going a, a little bit back to uh, uh the short parody so 31 31108 yeah. I'll keep saying it till I <laughs> till I memorize it. So you were talking about the archive as the camera of the dispossessed which is a wonderful phrase. So uh tell me a little bit about how you found traces of yourself um in in this footage and how you made it how you made it uh play against itself. So basically because there were training uh they were not even training they were playing because the the this material was made intentionally meaning because you you can see it with the camera movements if you see like uh, uh five tanks moving and then there is a uh a dolly so you understand that actually they directed the tanks and they told them okay you move from one place to another and it becomes interesting because then it is fiction right 
it is fiction, so they are playing. And um, luckily, they didn't use a human being to, to play. Uh, so it just bombing, uh, like you would see this officer. Uh, I mean, the narration is hilarious because it's not something that you can even write. Uh, he would say, uh, the enemy is behind the hills. I mean, of course, there's nothing there. You don't see anything. So in what else could be stronger than saying the enemy is behind the hills and the on the footage, you don't see anyone. Mm. And you bomb it. So now, of course, when you make these films, it, you know, it's kind of... I, would, I want to believe that it's kind of naive, but it's not, of course. But when I see that, I can see the other meaning. Somehow the film is this, uh, if you want, this enemy behind the, the hills, which is nothing. It's just the landscape, mm. right? So, and the whole film was like that. You know, they're, you know, shooting around and they're fighting. At some point uh, in the montage, uh, since there's, there's no enemy to, to be seen, they start shooting at each other. Um, and in a way, it is really, uh, I would say, uh, it is really a metaphor uh, for the, the state of mind of humanity, finally. You know? I am against armies. I am against all weapons. I am against all tanks. I don't think they should exist. And um, in a way, when you watch that, uh, you understand that, in fact, all of that won't lead us anywhere. And it's it's you know it's if you want it's that's that's the the, the poetry of this film of this work. You're listening to the Film Comment podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. When we started this conversation, you said that you believe that cinema should draw our attention to things that the mainstream media or culture doesn't. So, you know, war is the occupation, you know, these sorts of examples. Um, but, you know, the, for instance, the films you are making, which are stunning, these, uh, this film is like incredible. I thought even though it's just about 21 minutes, it's very rich. Uh, you know, I love An Unusual Summer. Uh, but these are not necessarily films that are um, competing with the mainstream media or culture. They're not being seen by a wide audience. You're also an, a video artist. So you're used to showing your work in more cloistered, smaller spaces with probably a self-selected audience. Yeah. So how do you reconcile then that idea of using cinema in this way with the kind of modes that you use and with the spaces you make films in? Well, I mean, um... I don't have the choice. So if I had the choice, I would like to make a bigger film. I mean, you'd make a blockbuster film? Yeah. I mean, the last film, I mean, what I really enjoyed with this last film, it's having a huge army mm. and <laughs> tanks and helicopters and all that. It was actually quite hilarious because you understand that you can do a lot with that. Now, mm. of course, um, you know, um, I'm 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 starting somewhere. I mean, I'm not saying that um, it's not, it's it, you know making a film which is um, using some uh, you know useful terms uh, more accessible. It's not something that uh, doesn't attract me. It does attract me. Now the question is, you know, uh, what is it that you want to add? What is it that you want to explore? Now, in the last 15 years, I have made these movies that uh, very, few, very few people see. It's okay. Um, but there are people seeing these films, you know. Um, so it's... Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that very few people, but I'm, in comparison to the number you would... The mass you would need in order to shift our culture's attention. Yeah. Right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but the thing is that... If, 
the, the problem of, again, going back to cinema and money, because it's really, uh, it's, a, it's really a huge subject, because um, you might have a, a really a wonderful idea um, to make a film, and uh, you cannot find the money to make it. And that's why, actually, I started making Recollection, because I had a film in my mind, um, and I couldn't make this film, and I ended up using this already existing footage, removing all these actors uh, from the uh, foreground of the frame and working with the backgrounds. Now, I, through this kind of uh, condition, I discovered something that I wouldn't have discovered otherwise, right? Um, but I, I uh, still, I'm still interested in the, the power of images uh, to express feelings, uh, emotions, and you know, uh, share um, experiences. Because finally, it's all about sharing experiences. What? Why would we then make a work of art or film? Because we we feel like there is something we want to share with others, right? Uh, so, um, answering question, yes. If someone gives me now two million, yes, I will take it and make a film. And make million? a bigger. You're aiming so ten, low. Ten, ten so million. Low. <laughs> For a blockbuster. Well, you want to still, still, still be free. You can make a good. You can, make, you know, with two million. I mean, we are film, the we are filmmakers, so we, we you can do so much yeah. if you are free to use this two million, two millions as as you wish. Right. Because when you have ten million, the eight million will go to places that you don't want to go to. So. But there is, obviously, there is this uh, logistical constraint, I guess, this financial constraint. But there is also, I, I mean, you are interested in form. You're very interested in yeah. form. Um, and, you know, you, it, your films are poetic in a way that doesn't always convey meaning in, me, in an immediate or obvious way, right? You experience the film like... Um, like you, we were talking even with Helena's film, you experienced it on a bodily level. Uh, you kind of have to submit yourself to the film. I mean, An Unusual Summer, it's, you know, you were talking about um, the Lumiere brothers and like you can't move the camera. I mean, The Unusual Summer is like one, it's basically one angle, like, you know, for a feature length film. And it's extremely fuzzy. Uh, you can barely make out the silhouettes of people and you have uh, this audio track. So... It is very deliberately, I think, an obfuscating film because of the materials used, yeah. but it is an obfuscating film and that's where its beauty and power lies. But do you ever feel that that is in conflict with the desire to say something more clearly for you? Well, uh, depends how you, how you uh, perceive uh, working with um, existing material. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in, in objectivity. Uh, because once you start working with something, it's totally uh, subject, you know, subjective. So, speaking of unusual, an unusual summer, uh, you know, it allows me, it allowed me, in fact, to work um, almost as a detective, right? I mean, I'm investigating something which happens in the neighborhood, breaking the car window, and I could really, uh, through the work with the the people passing by, create create a fiction. Finally, it's like a book. Finally, and in fact, when I was watching, I I had to watch all this material, and I started taking notes, and it's like 500 pages of you know uh, everything that uh, happening in in front of the camera. Now, you you know having this fixed camera allows allowed me, and it allows uh, for many things to somehow uh, appear on the surface. I mean, all these characters that I saw, all these things that I remembered, I wouldn't have actually saw and remembered if I hadn't worked with this material. Uh, but of course, there, there is a limitation. Any work of art has a limitation. Uh, but that's why we continue exploring. That's why I will be working on a fiction film, because there's something else I'm interested in I would like to explore. Um, so one thing shouldn't cancel the other. You know, it's a, like... Uh, I believe I very much believe in in um, accumulation of things, like um, you know, again going back to cinema. I think that the the the, uh, uh, the tragic aspect of filmmaking is that uh, people want to be successful uh, right away and with, with with one film, while you know if if you are a painter. 
you don't exhibit the first painting you do. I mean, you spend like so much time before you have, you know, you have the courage to go and do an exhibit. Mm. Um, and I think... But again, because cinema is much more expensive. and Yes, yeah. yes. Um, but again, cinema today can be many things. Mm. I mean, with the phone, someone was telling me I should buy the new phone because the camera is fantastic. And I, I did, um, you know, try some things with the, with this new iPhone camera, and it's it's amazing. I mean, you can do so much with it. The question is always, what is it that you want to express? So you can do a miniature, you know, you can do something small with it. And um, what I actually learned with time is it is really essential for um, uh, any creator not to stop is, you know, to do things all the time, even if it was really something small. Because because of the nature of cinema related to financing and money and many people involved, uh, you can get stuck, you know, and it takes like years to make a film. And, and then um, you lose all these periods in between where you had ideas, you had thoughts, you had, you know, um, you know, things that, uh, you could make in a in 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 one week. For example, now I I did a workshop with the film students of Het in Geneva. They came to Berlin. We did the summer school, uh, and the subject of the summer school was the night. So we spent a couple of days watching films, discussing, reading some stuff, looking at work of art, and then we made within these three weeks and it was intensive. We made four short films uh, about the night. Now, if I hadn't the, hadn't the chance, in fact, to work with these people who came from Geneva, uh, I wouldn't have gone to uh, Westhafen in Berlin. I always passed by this place, going to the airport, but I never went there. And I went there with the students because the you know one of them was crazy enough to t I want to make a film there, so I said, okay, let's go there at night. Um, and you can you can make a short film within three weeks. You don't have to spend like six months, uh, I don't know, applying, going to script writing. And and they made a film, which which one of these films is wonderful because when they, w they went first to the Westhaven. And what is, maybe, can you explain what is in Westhaven? Like what is the... Uh, it's a port uh, in Berlin. Okay. Um, so they the the two students they went to uh, the port and they found two sailors and they wanted to work with them, and then uh, two days later one of them said told them oh actually I'm going uh, away for holidays so they were so depressed and you know said, okay there's no film and I I told them okay let's let's go there you know you go there and you spend time you know you will see and then the next day they went there and they uh, discovered that there is a concert that will take place in one week in Westhafen at night. And uh, there were musicians going around there, um, you know, um, um, testing their instruments and, you know, uh, visiting the locations. And this is this what have become the film. It's a kind of a soundtrack that uh could only exist and the film could only exist because they went there and they spent time uh we couldn't have written this film so uh i think there's many ways of of creation and i think we should be always you know uh ready to do uh, small things and these small things they take us to bigger things just to be in the process it's all about the process in fact finally because if you look at the history of cinema, and as I said, I, I watched some of the Douglas Sirk films. Um, I, I was really so amazingly inspired by the three films he made in this film school in Munich. I don't know if you had the chance to see them. Uh, one of them acted by uh, the amazing Fassbinder. Um, and you would think, okay, already, already everything had existed. I mean, why would we make more films, right? Uh, there's so many amazing works, and it's it can be really sometimes uh, difficult because you see all these great masterpieces, and okay, who am who am I to add something to all of that? You know?
Um, but finally, um, we create art and we create culture because it's so essential for our existence. It's not about consuming what already existed. It's about really being in this process of existing, um, of doing things, of taking pleasure at doing things, enjoying, be happy. Um, I don't know, coming to Lucarno and I have you have a film. Fantastic. You are in a good mood. You know, it's about, you know, finally being happy at some point. <laughs> so, um, I mean, yes, uh, I, I, that's like, I, it's interesting because when I was talking to Helena also about this um, aspect of uh, paying attention and how the world seeps into your films. And she also mentioned the word, ple word pleasure. It's something that sometimes almost we forget about when we talk about making movies, watching movies, you know, and at the end of the day, it's a way of living life with pleasure, right? Oh, um, yeah. Making something out of what is around you. No, one aspect, and you were mentioning uh, food. Yeah. Now, one aspect I love about Asian cinema, I mean, Japanese and Korean, I just visited uh, Seoul months ago, and for the first time, and the first time I understood why in Korean films you see all the time people eating. I mean, this act of uh, sitting around the table and sharing the pot, and it's really incredible because it it, it is something that you would say, okay, how, how many, there are so many films showing people eating. Why would we, why would showing a scene again of people eating would be interesting? Because really it's part of our, uh, you know, uh, being, you know, of, you know, eating, sharing, uh, having pleasure. Um, they eat so spicy in Korea after one week, I couldn't take it anymore. But, even this process of eating spicy is so, in a way, emotional. <laughs> you know, it's like really this kind of uh, disturbing you and creating pleasure. In fact, chilies, I was reading about it, um, it creates pain, right? I mean, it's, it's literally creating created pain, creates pain. And it seems like that this, the pain is also related to pleasure. Yeah. So, small pain, not yeah. big pains. <laughs> I mean, pain and pleasure, two sides of the same coin. Um, kind of going back a little, I, I do want to, I wonder if you, you've ever been tempted to make films in a more agitprop way, you know, like really po directly political filmmaking, like, um, like those militant collectives that were in the 60s all over the world, uh, where film was really viewed as a tool or even a weapon. I don't think uh, it's something that I, I would like to do. Um, I, I'm more interested in, 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 in poetry. And there's always a tension between this, these kind of um, uh, politically and socially motivated films, unless you are, um, what's his name, the Swedish filmmaker, uh, Roy Anderson. Because Roy Anderson made amazing uh, ads, for example, uh, and they're, they are incredibly poetic and, and funny and with a message, right? But he's really so good. And uh, I, I really advise you to watch them. They're on YouTube. They're really incredible. Yeah. But there is something really, I wouldn't say old-fashioned, but we live in a different time. And I think we should use different tools. And sometimes it takes longer to you know, express or uh, share what you have in mind, also politically. Um, but I'm more interested in that than really uh, having uh, a direct political kind of message, Be because somehow I feel that it works really about um, it. It doesn't really fit with what I want to, how I want to see to see things. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm really not uh, not not into that at all. Um, and I mean, then do you sort of not against, but you of know, course, uh, but yeah. yeah so. And do you then do you then make any kind of division between like private actions and you know your personal life and your artistic life at all? 
No, I don't. I don't think as an as a as a as an artist. I think you you cannot you cannot um, divide between your personal life and what you do. And I think finally this is the part which is most exciting about artists and filmmakers if they really put uh, their life at the center of their work. Um, now it's not easy uh, because uh, things are very you know. They can be very difficult and, you know, very emotional. Um, but I do believe in in, uh, in art and filmmaking as a personal, personal uh, uh, or cinema as a person, uh, art, art form. Uh, so this is, again, going back to your question. Yeah, it's also political. Yeah. I mean, uh, making, like being political, is also by um, filming someone looking at the rain, not by uh, exactly uh, saying his thoughts. How is that so political it's a dialogue. to you? It's political in the sense that it gives a space to an individual, to a state of mind. Uh, it for me, it creates more dialogue than uh, having someone looking at the window and then uh, reciting some kind of slogans. Now, surely uh, we live in a time where uh, certain things need to be um, challenged and expressed and, and uh, shared. Uh, but I think um, this reminds me of, I don't know if you, have you seen ABC Africa by Karustami? Yes, I, I have. So, for example, this movie, uh, Karustami was commissioned to go to Africa to make a, I think it was the... Uh, Association, the World UNESCO, or UNESCO. Not, not UNESCO, but a uh, UN agency. Exactly, yeah. uh, it was again uh, like uh, to to um, um, fight uh, AIDS, mm. HIV in Africa, and this film is incredible because it starts with this, and then the other half of the film is just people dancing. So, you know. If you would give this film, this idea to someone and he would just, you know, make this uh, very direct film about mm. fighting this uh, disease and, you know, showing dead people and etc. But he decided to show people singing and living. Mm. So it's really about how you, 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 you use these tools and, and how you arrive at what you want to express, you know. Um, and I think the, the most wonderful thing about this film that he finally showed uh, life and not death. Mm. Well, beautifully said. So I, you know, also wanted to ask you a little about the question of duration. Uh, which duration in duration cinema. Duration oh, yeah. cinema, which is directly related to attention in cinema. Um, you know, I, I had this experience recently of... Um, talking to some people, one of whom was saying that I think that if a film, uh, if a film isn't made in such a way that it can be seen both on the big and small screen, then that's elitist in today's world. And I thought, you know, time is one of time and scale, or time and image, are to me the two primary components of cinema. You know, and so the artist should have the freedom to impose structures of time and image, even if they're, you know, even if they, that means that they're not, you can't view them on every screen, everyone can't see them. And I'm kind of curious about um, your opinion on this, uh, especially for instance, with An Unusual Summer, there is, a, you, you, there's a way in which you could make that film, it could have been a short, there's like that footage, you know, clearly you had this tre treasure trove of footage and you imposed a very personal structure onto yeah. it. So I'm curious, you know, how you approach duration um, and what role you think it plays in like your philosophy of cinema. It's interesting, it made me think now, uh, why, maybe it's the same thing happening in, in, uh, in uh, book publishing, because, um, Yes, there are books which are 50 pages. There are books, you know, novellas, you know, 100 pages. Um, someone that I, I admire, um, a writer, a Chilean writer, Bolaño, 
he wrote novellas which are uh, 100 pages and he, he wrote uh, books um, that are 700 pages Tomes, yeah. so yeah it is scary to touch the book of the five the, the 700 pages you know if you're serious about reading the book you have to spend a lot of time reading it uh, and it's faster to read this 100 pages um, so it depends you know, I mean, some movies can be made, uh, or some ideas, like the one I made now here, it's just 20 minutes. Um, I was talking to uh, someone about the subject, that um, uh, an old friend, uh, uh, Henning Gast, you know him, uh, the director of the Harold Film Archive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I told Henning about the film, and he told me, you should make an epic of two hours with it. Of war, and finally it I made could. it twenty. I made it. It could be, yeah. you know. Finally I made it twenty minutes because it was okay. I conveyed this idea in twenty minutes. Mm. Uh, so it really depends how how in fact important it is for you. Mm. Now I understand there's always a tension between what you want, what you desire, and the market, the festivals, mm. curators, etc., um, etc. Et you name it. Um, so. It's really about finding the, the balance between what is it that you want and finally, uh, it's very individual, individual. I mean, what we do, you know, it's very important to us. So just to finish about Unusual Summer, I, I could have made uh, 20 minutes, but I wanted to do something uh, very big about just one corner of the street and collect all these characters. And I would even say more when i finished making the film i realized there was one tape which was recorded on a wednesday because these tapes they would write you the the, the date and the day and it was a three hours uh footage that on this tape and I, and i know why i had to fix something in the in the edit i had to watch it and i thought I could have done just a film with this tape. It was already cut. Mm. It was already, everything was there on this tape. Because my father, when he recorded, sometimes he recorded over tapes. So this Wednesday, uh, it stayed Wednesday, but there were other days in this Wednesday. <laughs> so... So, yeah, it's totally subjective. I mean, mm. uh, yes, uh, a, a film which is 90 minutes um, could, you know, be more uh, for, you know, majority of people that after 90 minutes, they drop their attention, right? Mm. Uh, but sometimes you have a subject, you have a, 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 a journey that you want to go to yourself first because finally, I don't, you know, I have to make this clear. I'm not making films to a public. Mm. I mean, I'm 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 making films and art for myself. There's something that I would like to express. I see it as 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 important to me, and I see value in sharing it with with others. So uh, yeah, I mean, it depends. But you know what you said earlier that there is this network of there's the market, there are curators, there's festivals. Yeah. Um, you know, that is something maybe people don't talk about enough. I have friends uh, who are filmmakers, young filmmakers, and often when they're cutting their films, they're thinking about the uh, uh, categories of festival submissions. If it's over 40 minutes, certain films categorize yeah. them as shorts, others categorize them as mid-length. Some festivals don't have a mid-length section. So, you know, there is a, an element of calculation that goes into it. I'm sure there are like funders and labs who give feedback about you know, how this film needs to be presented. So the idea of it being purely subjective is not necessarily practically always true, right? Yeah, I know I know the system very well and I know, you know, in what situation I am operating. Uh, but I'm saying that we should really be, um, we cannot just accept that, yes, every, I mean, I don't know who decided that the film is not, should be 90 minutes. Who made this decision? I don't know. Like, why 90 minutes? Most films were like 90 minutes. Why 90 minutes? 
And when I you think, go, sorry, I don't know the answer. Because, but I maybe, think it's probably an industrial answer. Yeah, maybe yeah. they made this uh, studies that after ninety minutes we kind of uh, um, don't pay attention anymore to what's happening in the image. Maybe, but I love films which are eighty minutes, seventy minutes, sixty minutes, fifty minutes, twenty minutes, three hundred minutes. So I think they should all exist, and they should be a space now. Some people won't go and watch a 300 minutes film, which is fine. But I don't think that any type of industry uh, market should impose on filmmakers the duration of a film. Mm. It's difficult yeah, because, you know, uh, it makes you have, it, it, it will make the life of a film more difficult. But there were films that were hugely successful um, and they were very long, you know. I mean, of course, again, um, Germany, for example, uh, it will be really difficult for a film which is uh, four hours. But this film might work in France. Yeah, there's a cultural uh, aspect also to how we pay attention and how yeah. we perceive time. Yeah. So it really depends where you are and who you are and what subject you treat. So it's a lot of things involved. Now I'm against against any form of uh, standard, stand, um, how do you call this, standardization mm -hmm. of things, uh, because then you stop to be creative. Anyway. Well, we're talking about duration and the bell is ringing because yeah. the hour is up. Uh, Kamal, obviously you're, you're welcome to stay here. Um, is that a question? Hello. I want to say I agree with all you say, your view on cinema and everything I really respect and I have the same view. Uh, but the problem is that because you also uh, come from Palestine and I'm from Iran, and the thing is that the view of the, the, the world has on the, uh, the cinemas of our countries like uh, is very different from this kind. Like uh, all, in all the film festivals I go, all the film, uh, films from all around the world are very interesting new views and new uh, new approaches but the film that i always see from iran for example is the same film that i've been seeing for the past 20 years that, and it's so it's not that these kind of films are not made in our country but i feel like the industry is not accepting and doesn't want that uh view from us they just want us to repeat the same thing and just talk about uh, the problems and the political aspects and uh, don't uh, have this view. So I wanted to ask you, what is the solution? Why can I do? Because I was making uh, the same kind of films at the beginning of my career, and I went to a lot of film festivals, but then I have been making with the other view, and they have not been going anywhere. So I and now I'm like, everybody's telling me, maybe you should do the same you were doing before. And I don't know. I don't want to. So I don't know. I want to talk with you. Depends. I mean, of course, there is a... There is a um, I think... Uh, we, we still have to learn a lot about each other uh, in general as human being and uh, of course some places are less uh, uh, understood and known than other places uh, it's it's related to many you know things in, in our existence politically and socially um, but I wouldn't say that all places are the same you know you might have, uh, people, let's say, in, in uh, Lucarno or in Berlin um, that might be interested, but people in Cannes won't be interested or in other festivals, or you go to smaller festivals, you know? So it's all about the, the finding the people who make, make up these programs, you know? And you have to also somehow communicate with these people, you know? And if, they, if you feel, and I have been in this situation, um, for example, the kind of uh, portrait of, of, of Palestine in my work or the, you know, the, the kind of things that I do, it's far away from what people would expect. And at some point, I, I did face this problem that I felt I'm not supposed to, like, I'm not, expect, I'm, I'm not expected to be artistic because there was a certain expectations for me to deliver uh, a certain image, you know, and show certain violence, etc., uh, etc. Et and I resisted that. I, I said, no, I'm not gonna do that. This is not what I want. I'm not a news reporter. And um, yes, this exists. But what I would say that you that when you insist, finally you will get there. 
And finally, you have the responsibility as a filmmaker, as a creator, to create this other image that people don't know about or they feel they they you know uh, they don't want to see, etc. You create this this dialogue, this conversation, and you insist. Now it's difficult. It's not something that you do in a year. It's a process. And finally, it's it's related to ma- so many issues related uh, to the problems we have in the world still um, of places being, you know, underprivileged, places being uh, somehow suppressed or, you know, um, uh, the news creates a certain image on them, etc., etc. And I think this is precisely the role of of film festivals and and, uh, cultural institutions is to give the platform for uh, other expressions. Yeah, I mean, I I just want to add to that and say that if it's the responsibility of the filmmaker to create, you know, those images, it's the responsibility of us critics and curators to create space for them. So I think that's a good note to invite our next set of guests who are uh, three artists who have actually installations at the base camp here. Thank um, you so much. And thank you, Kamal. You may stay, you may leave as you please. Thank you for listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode from the Future of Attention at the Locarno Film Festival featuring curator Giovanni Carmine. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of Film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcommon.com.